Welcome to our podcast series, Identity Dialogue, Dialoguing with the Other and Myself. My name is Dr. Nita Chaudhary, and I'd like to welcome Winnie Payne and Manisha Blaskovich. Today, we're going to talk about identity and gender and sexuality. Welcome, Manisha and Winnie. Thank you Hi, thanks for having me. So I have a few questions, and we're just going to have a conversation a little bit about your journey um, and discovering your gender and orientation and a little bit more about the generalities of definitions and that type of thing. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, Winnie, about, yeah, please. Yeah, Um, so my journey started when I was in elementary school. That's when I first started being like, I'm not sure if I like boys I like girls, if I like both, or people in between. Um, so I came out a couple times when I was younger to my dad. Um, I bet that was a little confusing for him, but he took it really well. Uh, in high school, I started looking more into my gender. I noticed I was quite uncomfortable wearing feminine presenting clothing um, and having long hair and things like that. So I shaved my head. In grade 12, I started wearing more clothes that were comfortable for me. I started looking into gender things, um, more like transitioning things, which I didn't get into because I realized I wasn't trans, I was non-binary. But there's not a lot of information out there when I was younger, especially. So it was was a long journey, but I'm here now and I identify as pansexual and non-binary. Okay. So actually, it's interesting, those definitions of what they are, and we'll get back to that to understand what that means for the listener. I mean, Manisha, maybe you could give us a little bit about your journey, um, what you'd like to share with us. Of course. So similar to Winnie, my journey started when I was probably in elementary school. I remember having crushes on girls, on boys, just on kind of anybody. Um, But I didn't know what that meant, as a lot of young people do. There wasn't a lot of information. So growing up, I kind of always thought I was different than a lot of my friends in the way that I would express my crushes and even a little bit about my gender. But Once again, growing up, there's not a lot of discussion regarding gender. So it wasn't until later, I would say probably in my second year university that I really started to question like, what does gender mean to me? And what is gender just in general? So I think once I opened up that door, it really allowed me to grow in so many different ways. I figured out that I don't really care about gender. I don't really care about the labels that I hold for my sexuality, something that I struggled with a lot in elementary school and high school in the beginning of university. Um, And then I came to a place only within the past couple of years that I really think I thrive in the absence of gender and I thrive in the absence of labels. So I think for simplicity, I would say I identify as queer. Like if I were to hold a label, I would say that I'm queer in my sexuality and queer in my gender. And I think it's pretty, in my brain, it's pretty simple. That's interesting. So it actually brings me to this question about definitions because there's all these 
words that you threw out that are actually new for our generation to try and figure out what do these mean? You talked about pansexual, you talked about queer, you talked about non-binary. All of these definitions seem to be important for you to understand yourself. And although you talk about not having labels, there's still these vocabulary that's helped you position yourself in some way. And I'm wondering what role, and if you could give us some clarity around these definitions and how these labels have been useful, and maybe you can tell me what they mean. And also for the listeners. Definitely. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so I think for me, obviously it's, very dependent person to person. Everybody kind of, I think, approaches gender and labels in a unique way. I know that the term queer has been kind of redefined. Sorry. It has been redefined by the queer community and people are taking it back because it used to be used as a derogatory term. And I think really owning the word queer as an umbrella term for anybody that doesn't follow heteronormative or cis ideals when it comes to how they present themselves can to me fall under the label of queer so that's kind of how I look at it um, and yeah I think it just for me is something that I make it you know so queer to me might be queer different from what queer to Winnie is but oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So what do you think, Winnie? What does queer mean to you and what is the definition for you? Uh, I do agree with Manisha where queer is almost like an umbrella term for anybody in the community to use, whether that's gender or sexuality. Um, for me, I also say I'm queer a lot of the time because I don't like to explain what pansexual is to people. I think that one really confuses a lot of um people, especially outside of the community. Um, but queer, I agree, used to be quite a derogatory term for anybody in the community. Um, and we've taken it back in the past, I'd say, decade or so. Um, yeah, yeah. So you think it's only been 10 years, it's only been a decade that the queer term has been kind of reclaimed? I would say, 10 to 20 years, like early 2000s is when it started to have that shift in the community. Um, and where we kind of were like, yeah, I'm queer, so what? And so the term queer, does that mean, like, I think, and I'm asking this out of pure curiosity, does that mean that as a somebody who's been defined as a female at birth, doesn't want a male partner or does it mean that you could have a male partner and a female partner or a trans partner or what does it mean to be queer as opposed to somebody like me who doesn't say I'm queer I just say I like to be with men sort of thing like what does that mean and what does that mean for you as an individual to be queer uh for me personally queer just means I love who I love my gender is fluid um that's that's me being queer but again with different queer people like Venetia that could be totally different um and like different people in my friend group say they're queer but they're a lesbian or they're queer and bisexual so it's like a very big umbrella term for pretty much anybody to use but mm -hmm. it it definitely changes for person to person okay what about you Manisha yeah I I agree with Winnie 
with those points. And I also think that queer in itself can be a label, but I also think queer and being queer is kind of like a lifestyle. There's something called queer theory, which like examines the way that power works to kind of like institutionalize and perpetuate certain expressions of like sexuality and gender while stigmatizing others, right? So I think that being queer, being a queer individual, your existence itself is going against the norms of society. So I think a lot of times you can also hear the term, people are like queering academia, they're queering like sports, they're queering any kind of institution that is in place that has like fundamental like colonial and heteronormative values ingrained in it. So I think to me too, being a queer person is challenging those ideas um, within any institution and bringing in like queer theory, like looking at it being like, how can we deconstruct these notions of heteronormativity, let's say like in academia or ideals of relationships. But I also think I approach institutions differently than I would say somebody who isn't queer does. Bringing my identity and my like positionality into that has been really important because as a queer person, I have been affected by healthcare differently. I've been affected by like education differently. So really bringing in a perspective of we want to make all identities inclusive within this research is like really important. And that goes beyond just including them into our sample or including it into the methodology. It's bringing in like queer theory, like critical race theory. It's bringing in feminist theory to really look at like the disparities that exist between all youth, not even just queer youth, I think. It's like, it doesn't have, like my research doesn't have to focus on queer youth to bring queer theory into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. So you're including people who self-identify as not necessarily male or female and who self-identify, who might have sexual practices that are different than the mainstream. So you're including everybody in the sample size in your work. And because you're queer, you can identify those people in the sample. Is that what you're saying? A little bit. So I think I think it goes beyond that. I think it's yeah, so we do we do want to incorporate all identities into the samples, but then when you when you are getting your results and you're drawing conclusions, when you bring in theories that aren't intersectionality theory that looks at how each part of everybody's identity influences their lived experiences and experiences of discrimination, of oppression. So I think in, especially in epidemiology, I think it's quite rare, not rare, but it's not as common to bring in theory like that when you're analyzing data. So I think being a queer person, I really want to place an emphasis on the fact that health is ever-changing and is very dependent on people's identity. And a lot of queer youth don't have representation in research and in data that's being published so bringing even just by like even if you're even if my 
research isn't actually like it's not the focus isn't queer youth but even bringing in those theories to analyze the data and those frameworks starts a conversation and I think that's an important part about being queer is being when you are in places of like privilege and power it's to you want to be able to use all of these resources that you have gained through being queer to increase representation for queer youth, queer adults, anybody really. How about you, Winnie? I definitely agree. It's almost like breaking the binary standard of consistently having two opposing things, whether that be male or female, or really almost sad sometimes to see how we don't get taken care of if like with the same seriousness as a straight man, for instance. Um, and it's really hard to find doctors who are accepting and want to help and also listen to you, listen to what you need instead of putting words into your mouth on what they think you need or what they think might help you, but you're in your own body and this doctor is not you. Um, I definitely agree with, with, with that for sure. So it's actually interesting. I have like a couple of questions and ideas. One of the thing is community, which you bring up the queer community, this community and community seems to be quite important for you. I wondered how community has helped you understand yourself. Like what role has community played and how important is it? for these communities to be supported? Um, I would say finding my space in the queer community with my queer friends specifically has really given me confidence just to be me and to dress how the way I want to dress, have my hair the way I want it, have the pronouns and have them respected. Um, I think it's a very huge part of my confidence and my growth as a queer person. I've noticed when I was in elementary school, high school, I had very straight cis women friends who were all into boys and partying and wearing very tight clothing. And I would go along with that and try and mask myself and be that feminine presenting person that everybody wants me to be. Um, and when I finally decided that's not me, it my confidence really like skyrocketed. Like I, I don't care if people think I'm weird because I wear a lot of boy clothing or I have short hair or my pronouns are they, them and they don't want to go by that. That's totally fine. Like I'm not here to, I'm not here to educate people all the time, especially strangers who are just, I meet at a party and they don't understand my pronouns. It's like, that's fine. That's your life. I'm just letting you know mine. And if you respect that, that's cool. If not, see ya. You know, like that confidence really, really grows when you have the right community around you. That's interesting. What about you, Manisha? Yeah, I, what Winnie said really resonates with me. I'm really happy that you have those friends that make you feel that way. I think that's really important and really special. Um, yeah, I I think I think yeah, being having a queer community, it really increases your sense of belonging, and you can see yourself 
in your friends, which I think is like kind of cool. And I know that you should be able to do that. And I think for me, before I had my queer community and my queer friends, I don't think I could see myself in my friends. And that doesn't go to say that like, I don't have straight cis friends, I do. Um, but they understand, they don't, no, I wouldn't say they understand, but they they empathize and they're really open to learning about like queer culture and like our experience, which I think is really nice. And I think having a queer community too, it it helps you be more confident in yourself and it challenges like those stereotypes that people have about what it means to like be queer or be part of the LGBTQ plus community because like if you look at everybody's queer like every every individual's queer community it probably looks really different and I think that's really beautiful yeah no it's diverse actually the queer community is diverse as any community is diverse exactly yeah that's really great so it's important, I think, to live with this notion of gender of yourself. Do you feel like this notion of gender, you come to it by interacting and talking to other people in your community and you get a better understanding? Like something interesting is that, Manisha, you said you like living in the absence of the notion of gender. And Winnie, you said you like the notion of non-binary, which is also, I guess, the absence of gender as well, right? Um, what I find interesting is I talked to somebody like a cis male who's in his 60s who said why are these people so offended like you know people are starving in the world why are they so offended I personally got quite angry at this person and then I thought well it's not me to answer it's people like who are in the queer community where gender non-conforming gender is important why is it important for the six-year-old cis hetero white male to understand why it's important these gender pronouns and this absence of gender I mean do you think you could answer that question for me personally I think it's just simple as human respect you just you got to respect everybody and I think I truly think it's as simple as that for me yeah, I uh, I definitely agree with you where it's like, it's just respect. And, you know, like if I called a cis man a woman, he would have a hissy fit. Let's not lie here. Most of the time <laughs> they would be offended. So like, why don't you think I would be offended if you misgendered me and continued to misgender me after I have told you that it's not my pronouns, you know? It's like respect. So yeah. what, do you, what do you think? Go ahead, Manisha, what were you going to say? Oh, and I, I think the lack of respect to from individuals is also very dangerous. If you, if people don't start to change the way they perceive gender, it can be so dangerous, especially for like queer youth growing up. I think not having your identity validated from a young age can lead to negative like mental health outcomes which is not fair in a way you know so it's interesting it comes down to respect and also safeguarding the mental health and well-being of people who you know 
their gender questioning is not in the norm. Um, so I actually had another question, which has slipped my mind, so I'm going to come back to it. But how does the history of queer culture help you situate, understand yourself and others? I think you talked a little bit about the history of queer culture. Where where does that fit for you to understand where we've come in understanding that in society? I think, Manisha, you talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, the history of queer culture, I think, is it's quite complex and long, and I'm not an expert on it at all. Um, I definitely could learn more and probably should and hopefully will. <laughs> but I think my understanding of it right now has kind of similar to what my queer community does for me. It it helps you overcome, I guess for me is feeling not of, well, I guess of isolation. I feel like a lot of queer, well, I, I can't, I can't generalize, but in my community, a lot of queer people I know have felt isolated at times, but learning about the experience of LGBTQ2S plus individuals like throughout history can help you develop kind of a sense of solidarity towards those individuals who went through what like probably a thousand times worse experiences than what I've been through and it and it can help you find strength in yourself to overcome challenges that you're facing in your everyday life I think and I think too big thing for me is like queer history really intersects with a lot of like social political movements like civil rights feminism all of that and I think understanding these intersections can really help you be more or it can help me be more aware of the world I'm living in and why the structures of power are the way they are right now which sometimes makes me not feel too good because you look at it and I don't feel that hopeful that like they can change but then it gives you a sense of pride and and power because people over the course of queer history have been fighting against these systems of power that oppress them and it, it makes you want to keep fighting for like equal rights and for equity within the queer community and just within the world in general. So I think for me, those are the the main, I guess, takeaways I have from learning about queer history. So there's some solidarity with other movements as well, in addition to the queer movement. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How about you, Winnie? How has the history of queer culture helped you situate yourself? Um in a journey there's a lot of queer history that people don't really talk about the main main queer history people talk about is the stonewall riots in new york in the 60s mm -hmm. where marsha p johnson who was a trans black woman um, basically fought back against the police and was like we belong here i know you hate us but you know, you're not gonna get rid of us and you try and kill us off or put us in jail. Like that's, it's not working. We're still gonna be around. 
Um, and that just learning that as a kid, I was like, wow, that, that could be me. I'm POC, I'm non-binary. I could possibly make a difference in this world. And I know it's hard and it was very hard back in the 60s. I can't even imagine what that would be like to go through going through rates and things like that. But it really opened my eyes to wanting to do more and do better for the community and help everybody as much as possible, obviously. Like, you know, there's a lot of us and I can't help every single one of us, but just having that knowledge in my brain of Marsha P. Johnson just really, I don't know, really pushes empowers me to you. Do it better. Yeah. It empowers yeah. you. You feel inspired and empowered. Yeah. And also yeah. a role model as well. Yeah, sometimes for, especially for, I'd say younger queer youth, I almost have like this sense where I want to do the best I can for you and be the best example for you and show you that over time things will get better. And it's, it's always hard. It's always hard being any kind of minority, but as long as you work hard and have your like sense of worth with you, I think it will eventually work out. So um, one of the things you talked about was the role of language, which is rooted in gender. And it's important to understand that. I think that's super important when you think about how we use language, they, them, she, her, he, his. I know for me personally, my generation is still getting their tongue around they and them and actually trying to, you know, get used to using those pronouns to in their head, in your head, try and understand this, they, them, like actually conceptually understand that it's quite difficult. I need to be very honest about it. It's quite difficult to understand that and to really embrace it in a way that we understand it because up until now we've seen the world as a binary. So, you know, so I wondered if you might talk a little bit about language and how important it is. I know Manisha, you mentioned a little bit about this and then maybe Winnie could give us some. Yeah, language, I think it's, it's so complex. And I think a lot of languages, not only the English language is like really rooted in gender and has kind of created like gender norms within language itself and sometimes like you draw connections between certain words and certain genders right like if we think about like stereotypically if you think about like somebody who's athletic a lot of people will immediately think of a man right you'll think of a strong man who's athletic but that's not necessarily true there's a lot of strong athletic women and non-binary individuals and trans individuals and I think when you start to deconstruct the perceptions you have about certain words, about certain phrases, about, about descriptors that we use for the binary, once you start to go past that, you can realize that like words are just words to a degree, you know, and they can apply to so many different kinds of individuals. And when you start lending language to the binary system it erases 
so many different individuals who don't fall within that binary. And it can lead to a bunch of unconscious like bias about the way people perceive and treat other individuals who might not fall within the binary. So I think it's like super important to like, I I still do this. I have a lot of biases when it comes to how I perceive individuals and and how I speak. But I think it's really important to be be aware of that and to actively ask yourself, how can I be better? Or is there better like language that I can use for these individuals? Or if this individual tells me that they're non-binary, how can I change the way I'm speaking to not, I guess, perpetuate the binary system? Because language, like I think, does have a lot of power. And it can create power imbalances too between different genders. And I think there's a lot to say. I'm not obviously an expert in this either, but those are kind of just like my initial thoughts. I don't know if maybe when we have something you like to say about that. Yeah. Um I I have noticed a lot of the older generation has a hard time specifically with they them pronouns um and I find it funny sometimes because in a lot of different languages that aren't English they don't have pronouns so Mm -hmm. I'm like I don't know why this language works but English just has to really (laughs) go and be extra but um yeah just like even with my mom she's from the Philippines um there is so many dialects in the Philippines, but specific, specifically Tagalog doesn't have pronouns specific anything. Um, and I've noticed like when she speaks English, she has a hard time gendering people, um, not just because how they look or they present, it's just because in Filipino, they don't have that. So it's hard for her in English to kind of wrap her head around the binary, which is funny because they, them pronouns is also hard for her. Um, I think maybe because it is a different word and the way they say specific things in the Filipino language opposed to English is different, but it's, sometimes I find it funny when I'm like, you know, a lot of other languages don't have that binary, but English just does, which sucks. (laughs) Well, it's actually interesting because the other day a woman came to visit us from Sweden and she met a Canadian woman who said, oh, you know, you can go, you can be prosecuted if you use uh, the wrong pronoun intentionally. And then this woman, this Canadian woman said, well, there's no free speech in Canada. What do you think about that comment? And also this notion that you could be prosecuted if you don't use the right pronoun. The prosecution part, honestly, is a little too far for me. I'm like, that's yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot, especially if, like, I don't know. It's hard because sometimes people are malicious about the way they go about things, but a lot of the time it's because they're ignorant and they don't know that this really hurts somebody and can really put a toll on their mental health. And I think having that information out 
on like the statistics of trans kids and suicide rates. Like it's the highest out of any youth group ever. Um, mm -hmm. So having information like that and statistics out, I think would help people just wrap their heads around how dangerous it can really be. So I don't think prosecution is the right answer. I think education is the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, obviously if it gets too far and they're like actually physically, verbally, mentally hurting you over time, then sure, prosecution, that's harassment at that point. But right away, I truly think that's a lot to put somebody through because they're uneducated. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It also feels a bit like a bit scary if you are going to prosecute somebody who is maybe intentionally or not intentionally using the wrong pronouns because, you know, I feel like people can take it the wrong way and take it out on the queer community, you know? Like if you meet somebody who might be a, an aggressive person and then you prosecute them for using a wrong word. I feel like this happens too sometimes when you call somebody out, it can do more harm than educating. I think, I think educating is a great way to approach that prosecution just seems scary it seems like you're placing a lot of people in dangerous situations interesting yeah. well I, I think it's really interesting I wasn't I, I didn't know what to expect and the answers you'd give so and it's it's something that just happened a few days ago so I'm quite interested to know and since I don't live in Canada I, I, I was kind of interested in what your perspective was so I have another interesting question uh, which is intriguing for me as a scientist uh, public health specialist is if if gender is fluid why is it necessary to have medical transitions and what are the pros and cons of these types of transitions I just think if gender is fluid and if you can in society live in a gender fluid way why do we have to take hormones or surgically remove parts of the bodies or add parts to the body if it's actually dangerous from a physical health perspective. I wondered if you had some notions or ideas about that. Um, so obviously, okay, once again, I'm not an expert. I don't identify as being trans. Um, so I've never had to think about transitioning or about seeking like affirming care in the way of transitioning. I have been to therapy and have discussed like my gender. So that is a form of gender affirming care I have been through. But just like when he said, statistically trans youth have the highest rates of suicide, suicidal ideation, psychological distress, and it can reach up to like 16 times greater than their like cis counterparts, which is incredibly high. But I guess, for me, I approach it more from an academic side because I, like you, I'm in epidemiology, public health. So I am interested in, in the implications of public health measures in trans affirming care. So like scientifically and statistically, gender affirming care has been associated to lower odds of like psychological distress and all of these negative mental health outcomes. So when you provide individuals with care that affirms their identity it not only like makes them feel better within their mind but once you start attacking what like outer 
I guess, um, I don't know, I don't know how to like, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of queer youth, I guess, experience gender dysphoria, um, and body dysmorphia, so your, the way that your body looks doesn't align with how you feel in your mind, and I think that's really hard to overcome, and I think for me too, personally, like, I have, like, a bigger chest, and sometimes that, that does affect the way I, like, perceive myself, and, and the way that I, feel about myself because I don't want people to look at me and just because I have like bigger boobs like it doesn't mean I want to be like sexualized as a woman or that I want to be perceived as a woman so but for me thankfully I have found comfort in having like this body that I'm in and I now love this body that I'm in but that doesn't happen for everybody right some people can't get over the hurdle of looking at themselves and being like you know like this might not be the body that I want well I'm just thinking it's a bit like though this whole craze on plastic surgery like people my age getting facelifts and nose jobs and boob jobs and you know it's like also something that's being sold by society about what your body's supposed to look like and what a female's supposed to look like and what a male's supposed to look like and what a beautiful person's supposed to look like and what a you know, so in some ways, I feel like it's a bit of the medicalization and also the commercialization of what a body should look like. Yeah, to to a degree, I, I agree with you. I think that because of the norms that have been placed regarding what certain genders have to look like, that lends a lot to like the psychological like distress that queer and trans youth experience I think ideally if we could live in a world that didn't construct gender in the way that it did people wouldn't have to transition like or medically transition right they wouldn't but unfortunately in this world that's not the case you know like having boobs if you identify as a trans man or a trans non-binary individual for some people is really hard and it's really hard because like well I I also I also don't know because I'm okay with my boobs but I think it's I think it goes beyond to like what gender means for the outside world I feel like it's more what gender means to that person yeah um so I am non-binary. I also categorize myself in the trans community, even though I have never medically transitioned. I've never taken uh, any hormones and I have never had any um, confirming surgeries. But as a kid, I did think about it. I also have quite big chest. Um, and honestly, I hate it. But I did my research on it and it is a very big surgery to do on your body. And the surgery is one thing. Recovering is another thing that takes honestly like months to recover from top surgery. And I did my research. I talked to a therapist. I talked to doctors about it. And I realized that it was just more of what society was putting on to me of like, oh, if you're not on binary, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have anything that makes you look like a man or a woman. And that's not true. That's not true. You can be non-binary and look 
however you want, whether that be top surgery, no top surgery, getting on hormones or not getting on hormones. I think that's the beauty of the fluidity of being non-binary and gender. But honestly, it, it was the pressure of society being like, well, if you feel more masculine, you got chop your tits off basically like that you don't have a choice and I kind of got thought stuck into my head for over three years until I actually talked to somebody um, and people gave me other choices where we have things called binders where you can put on basically like a sports bra but it compresses your chest makes you have a flatter chest you don't have to go through surgery it can be a little uncomfortable to wear over hours, but it's it's a choice that you have where you don't have to do surgery. You can still have that kind of look of the chest that you want. Um, so that was something that opened my mind up. But I think also a lot of people need that, again, education to be out there to know that there's other choices besides doing surgery and getting on hormones as soon as you have a certain thought in your mind. Um, also, I will add, you cannot get any of these surgeries or get on hormones unless you've gone through puberty and you have your parents' permission, depending on your age and what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I would say that these surgeries are life-saving in some situations. And um, at the same time, we do need education on other options. Yeah, I have just a little point when you were when you were talking. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, I I think too that a lot of people, maybe more so like individuals who are not like well versed in like trans healthcare or like queer culture, um, when they think about transitioning, they automatically go to the medical transition, right? Which in, in a lot of the case isn't actually what happens like when he said like you can't get these surgeries without like extensive care in general you know like you need you need to talk to like you talk to your parents you need to a lot of the times have a therapist you need to talk to doctors there's a lot of consultation that goes on and some people go through that process and they decide that they want these surgeries or that they don't so I think like when he said again, like education is really important because gender affirming care and transitioning doesn't just mean surgery. It means like therapy. It means, yeah, well, I guess it, it, it can mean a lot of things, but it, it's not just like the medicalization of transitioning. It's so much more. And interestingly, um, I think I've been really elusive, like I've really learned a lot from what you have to say about that. Uh, and thank you for sharing your story. That was very, very helpful for me and for the listeners. Um, what I'm interested in is what is important ultimately from what I'm understanding is that having community where you understand who you are from a gender perspective and from a sexual orientation or sexuality perspective is really important. One of the things that I've also heard from a cisgendered older male was that there's too many gay people on TV and that it's not good for young people to see that. <laughs> I was quite horrified 
heard that, but they said you're going to influence young people and it's going to confuse them. What do you think about that statement? I mean, having straight people only on TV, I think, confused me a lot. So (laughs) I think representation is so important. Like, it's what's confusing about seeing somebody live their truth, you know? It's just you can see yourself in different parts of different people. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like I feel like if if there were gay people on TV when I was younger, I would everything would have made sense a lot quicker, right? Like I wouldn't have had to go through a lot. I even think like my parents probably would have had like a much easier time with like my queer journey if there was representation because it's opening up like different worlds that you might not be exposed to. So that's just a funny statement that people like to say. Yeah. Well, thank you. I needed to hear that. What about you, Winnie? Yeah, I also think that's hilarious. Like, (laughs) I mean, straight people have been in the industry on TV, movies forever. Imagine if I was like, there's too many straight people like on TV. Like, this is this is too much for me. I will never watch TV again. I think that's I don't know. I just think it's so funny. But um the only like really queer representation I saw on TV as a kid, um, my mom would watch a lot of uh, Filipino channel on TV and queer people in the Filipino community don't have the best rep. Um, they, they're, they're on TV, but they're portrayed more as the butt of the joke most of the time. And so that's the representation I saw when I was younger on TV and I was like, well, I don't want to come out. I don't want to be laughed at or like made fun of because that's what I see on TV. So I'm going to be a straight woman. (laughs) Um, So if I had like more queer positive representation on TV, I think honestly for my parents and myself, it would have been so much easier. (laughs) So much easier. Yeah. Wow. Well, I really want to thank you. I think it's been, wow, an amazing conversation. And I think it's going to be really uh, elucidating for a lot of people who are not familiar with the community and also for those who are in their journey themselves. I really hope they'll listen. Um, I really want to thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to say to kind of close off our conversation? I would just like to say if there's anybody queer listening, that things will get better. I promise you. And therapy is great. Doctors, you just have to find the right one. I know it's freaking hard, but I have faith in you that things will be okay. Oh, thank you. Minisha? I'd like to echo what Winnie just said. And I think that, (laughs) not to get all cheesy, but I think life is a beautiful journey and you're going to go through shit times but you're also going to have the best times of your life. And all that really matters, I think, at the end of the day is that you find the people you love and who love you and everything will be all right. Yeah, thank you. Well, 
Thank you, both of you. You're both beautiful people. And you, I've learned a lot. This has been a fabulous conversation for me personally, but also for everybody who's going to listen. So I look forward to hearing what listeners have to say and have a great afternoon and evening. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.